Just a, a cautionary word as we get into this. This is a this is a a tough topic this morning, and you could be aware it's not money, so you're safe. Okay. But on something that's a little more profound, and uh, I can only imagine what a generation before me uh, is thinking, but I look around as an almost 50-year-old, and, and I get concerned at the level of faith and or the level of worldliness in the next generation of what are calling themselves believers. And it seems to be that instead of changing our lives and lining up with Scripture and um, reading our Bible and attending Sunday school and be a disciple, we almost do the opposite of saying, hey, you know, I can smoke and drink and cheat and sleep around and get tattoos and use illicit drugs and still love Jesus Christ. And I'm here this morning to tell you you're wrong. If you're going to have faith, then that faith is in Jesus Christ and you bend your will to Him, not the other way around. Jesus Christ does not bend His will to you. And there are obvious signs of people that are believers. And again, I'm not against, hey, if you've got tattoos this morning, don't feel guilty. That's all under the blood, but there's no need to get a new one. That's just selfishness. That's just flesh saying, hey, look what I can do. There's no need to do that. Same with drinking, smoking, adultery, fornication, all of those things. It's against God's will. And to say, hey, I can do those things because of grace, you're in error. And this is some, uh, I want to use this word, and and it's the title this morning is newfangled faith. (laughs) Now, we don't use that word much anymore, but I grew up hearing that word. My my grandfather loved that word. And it was usually uh, used when he didn't know what to do because it was something newfangled. This newfangled motor, this newfangled piece of equipment, this newfangled whatever it was. And for a long time, I didn't know what that meant. I thought it meant uh, maybe something bad. But my question for you is, do you have newfangled faith? And if so, you need to not be fooled. And before we get to to 1 Samuel, I just want to remind you that The Bible spoke very clearly about this. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, he's he's giving a a message. Paul is giving a warning to Christians uh, for the end of the days. And and this is what he says, we should no longer be children. Now, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't have children. And he doesn't mean that we should lose our childlike faith. But what he is saying is, it's time to grow up. It's time to stand up. Because if you listen to some of the language here, you'll get an understanding. He said, we should no longer be children that are tossed to and fro. I don't know if you ever did this with your kids where you hold them up and you toss them. Well, the kids aren't in control, are they? (laughs) And he said that if you're like a child, you're being tossed to and fro, back and forth, and even carried around by every wind of doctrine, every new thing that comes by, every new teaching that comes through, and yet you're not solid, you're not standing, you're not walking, you're being carried around and tossed back and forth, you're unstable. And he goes on to say, not only the, these winds of doctrine, but get this this morning, by the trickery of men. Even pastors standing in pulpits that are telling you, hey, it's okay to be like this. I'm telling you, you better be a person of the Word. You better be a person that lives like the Word. And I'm not talking about hard holiness, and I'm not talking about legalism. That is so far from what God wants. 
But what I am saying, if we think we can just live however we want and get into heaven, you're making a big mistake and you're being fooled by the deceitfulness of men. And maybe you this morning have newfangled faith. It says, not only by the trickery of men, but also the craftiness of deceit. We begin to deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, God's standard is changing. We've seen that across the board. People think that God should change his standard because the culture has changed. I'm telling you, since the culture has changed, God's word is more necessary than ever. It's a standing place. It's a safe place for us. It is a refuge for us. And yes, it may seem outdated in today's culture, but I'm telling you what, if you want the life that is worth living in, the abundant life, you need to be a person that lives like God's Word. And I'm not talking about robes and sandals and all that stuff. I'm talking about a value system that honors God and honors the people around you, and you even respect God and others, and how about even yourself? But we're growing up in a time where all of that is being stripped away and it's kind of a do what you want until, until something bad happens. Then you run to God. And you don't even know what to do. Or even worse, you run to somebody like me that can't fix your problem and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to care for you, but you have an everlasting, all-creating God at your disposal. But to think you can stroll into his presence however you want, living however you want, and you think he's just going to answer your wish list, you're fooling yourself, you're deceived. First Timothy 4.16 also says this, we need to take heed to ourselves and to doctrine. For if we do this, we'll not only save ourselves, and it doesn't mean we can save ourselves, but it means that we don't get pulled away, but we'll also allow others to hear the good news. Now listen to that. Take heed to yourself. Stop worrying what the culture is doing. Stop worrying about somebody else is doing. You make sure you're living up to what God's standard is. And I guarantee you this morning, I'm not going to talk about uh, how short your dress is or if you're wearing makeup or all of that stuff. That's the past. The outward man is perishing. But the virtues on the inside, the thing that God looks at, He said He looks at the heart, we better have lined ourselves up or we're going to be fooled into thinking, hey, everything's okay. And yet... A generation before us looks at the new generation and says, I'm not even sure if they're saved. Not because they attend church, but because of a lifestyle lived Monday through Saturday. And if your lifestyle isn't lining up Monday through Saturday, you're deceived. You're fooled. And the great news is, this is the greatness about God. You can switch that today. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to pay your dues. You just today make a decision, Lord, I'm going to find out what it means to live like you want me to live, and I'm going to start. You don't even have to be perfect, but just start walking in that direction. But many of you are thinking, I'm not sure I want to do that. And I'll be honest this morning, there are places in the passages that I'm thinking, I don't like what he's saying, but I don't get to choose that. That's God. And wherever my ways and his ways don't line up, I'm wrong. And wherever his ways and your ways don't line up, you're wrong. And you can either accept that and begin to shift, or you're going to find yourself 
like the passage we're going to read this morning, and, and the phrase that I would give you is this, you may find yourself as a Philistine Christian. <laughs> and I don't want you to be a Philistine Christian. I want you to be an on-fire, passionate, blood-bought, Jesus-loving Christian. So what does newfangled mean? I'm glad you asked because we don't use that word much. Here's what it means. Recently created or invented. Now think about what I said, a newfangled faith. It's recently invented or created. Faith has been around since there was people. This is not new. But what happens is we begin to reinvent what faith looks like. God has already given us what faith looks like in His Word. And if you think you can recreate it in your own image, you're fooled. It also means different from what used to be. Now think about that for just a minute. Newfangled faith. Different from what it used to be. Now again, I agree, there need to be some changes away from legalism and all that stuff. All that stuff that was punishing people. But to think that there's no standard, you're deceived. It's wrong. You're, you're following the deceitfulness of men or their trickeries. It also means the newest style or kind. And I've seen this. I mean, there's been times in the church, there's been warfare seasons, there's been praising seasons, there's been anointing seasons, there's been seasons that sweep the church, but yet the Scriptures say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His Word, His ways, His love doesn't change, but the fact is that we change. But I'm also telling you, with every new culture, if we're not careful, we'll begin to drift farther and farther. And it's even taught, you can read this in Revelation, the seven different churches, how he says, oh, you think you're doing well, and yet this is what I see. And he says that several times. And so it's pretty normal for people to think, hey, I'm doing good. I, everything's great. And God says, nope. I see you as naked and poor and hungry, and I'd advise you to come back to me. And the problem was they didn't even think they were away from him. And I look at a world, and I look at a next culture, and again, it's not an age group, it's just a culture that's sweeping, that I'm beginning to say, you're living your life. Sure, you come here, you come someplace on a Sunday, but what is the rest of your life like? And it sounds like newfangled faith, that you're trying to blend the world with God's Word. You're trying to do your way, and then ask Him to bless it on Sunday, and I'm saying that is a mess, just waiting to happen. It also means a new or fashionable thing. Cool church, and, and this is how we got to do this, and this is how we got to do that. If we miss the presence of God, we've missed it no matter how cool we make it, church. No matter how much we sing or don't sing, whether we have one-hour services or 15-hour services, if we miss God, we've missed the most important part. And it's not about how you dress, and it's not being able to have a pastor that wears skinny jeans. I won't. or wear a faux hawk, or any of that fashionable stuff. Because it's not about the dress. It's about a deep hunger for His presence that will change us and make us line up. Do you understand what I'm saying? And without that hunger that drives you to the Word, you won't line up. Your flesh will always resist God. But if you have that hunger, what is God saying? What does He expect from me? What does His presence want from me? If you'll ask that question, He will show you. But I'll tell you what I hear. I hear of a whole new generation that says that they want truth. They just don't want it applied to them. 
I hear about a, a generation that doesn't want to be filled with facts. We want an experience. I'm telling you, sin's an experience. Divorce is an experience. Abortion's an experience. Do you want those experiences? God is seven. He's, he said He's given us a life that is abundant and worth living. And you can have other experiences, but I'm telling you what, without the grounding anchor of God's Word in your life to guide you, you'll have experiences, but they won't be good experiences. And sin is even pleasurable for a season. You can do it for a while, but pretty soon it comes with a big bill that you didn't know was coming. And you'll have another experience. And I don't want your experience to be that you stand before God someday, and you will. Everyone will. And you think everything's great, and you call Him Lord. And He says, I don't know you. But wait, I went to church. I don't care. I don't know you. Because it's not about where you sit on Sunday. It's about how you live your life. It's not about what Bible version you read. It's about how you live your life in relation to His Word. And I'm still in that process. I don't have it all figured out, and I've been doing this for decades now, but I'm telling you, you can't just shrug it off and think I can do what I want. I'm telling you, you can't. Or even worse, you try to find some religious way to do what you want. And we're going to see this in this passage. This is an old problem from way back in the, New, uh, the Old Testament. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to read through several passages here, but let me give you the, the, the forefront of this, the back story. In 1 Samuel chapters 4, 5, and 6, Israel has been out conquering. The, the whole armies have been out, and, and they've defeated most of their foes. And usually what happens is the Levites go out, and they carry what was called the Ark of God that had uh, different articles from the tabernacle in it. And, and the presence of God would go out, and they would, what they called, rout or win over their enemies. But subtle changes begin to take place, and even the priesthood began to get corrupt. And their form of worship began to get corrupt. And listen, this is, this is how the culture changes. Instead of them believing that they needed to be right people with a right God, they just trusted God to do everything. Did you hear that? We'll just bring, doesn't matter how we're living, we'll just bring God out and God will win the battle for us. When God was deeply disturbed at the corruption of the priesthood and the direction that worship was going, and yet they're saying, hey, let's just bring out God. Let's bring out the box and let the box win for us. And maybe today, box is the church. Or box is whatever you place in that box. But in chapter 6, the ark gets captured by the Philistines. And it didn't go so well for them. You see, they were Philistine believers. They saw the power of the box. They saw the victory of the box. They saw that there were some things to be gained by the box. But then when the box didn't act like the box, they wanted the box to act, 
they didn't want the box anymore. And if you want to read that story, you can read that. They messed around with God's box, and pretty soon a plague broke out. They had a plague of rats and uh, physical disease until they're like, we got to get this thing out of here. Send it back where it came from. And that's a sign of another generation of people saying, I want God's power. I want that victory. But I don't want to have to do what I'm supposed to do because nobody's supposed to handle God's box. And so get this thing out of here. So here we come. New king is is on the land. His name's David, quote, a man after God's own heart. And he says, this is wrong that, that the ark of God, the presence of God is gone and we're going to get it back. And it had been at a, a resting place for a while. So if you'll join me in chapter 6, verse 1. So David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. And he led them to Balah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord's heaven's armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Verse 3. They placed the ark of God on a new cart. Look at this. Everything's got to be the best for the king. Going to put him on a new cart. Nobody else has used this cart. And we're going to have all the elite, all these soldiers, all in their battle array. And we're going to do this the, the way that would really honor God. And they brought it down from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house. Now, these were, these were guys that are of a lineage that should have known what to do, but they're just doing what the trend is. They're carrying the ark of God. And Ohio walked in front of the ark. And David, who is the king, and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. They're just having a great time. This is awesome. They're singing songs and they're playing all kinds of musical instruments. It sounds like church today. Lears and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. I mean, worship is going on. We're going to worship you, God. We're going to worship you, God. You're coming back. We want your presence. And then verse 6. But they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon. And the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to study the, steady the ark of God. Now think about this. They've taken the ark, they've placed it on a new cart, they're bringing it along with a couple of oxen. And, and they're showing reverence for God. They think they're showing reverence for God, because the oxen stumble, the cart jerks, and the ark starts to slide off. And Uzzah does what many of us today would do. We try to save God. He reaches out to steady the ark. Look at verse 7. The Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Okay? Now, we're going to get into this a little bit, but you're thinking, that just doesn't seem fair. That didn't seem right. And, or even worse, you're thinking, yep, that's the God I know. He's just a judging God that he's just ready to kill somebody. Nope. We're seeing an aspect of God. We're seeing an attribute of God that we better understand. Now look at what, how things quickly changed. Verse 8. Music dies, and now David is what? No more praise. Woo, we're bringing God's presence back. Oh, it's good in the house. Isn't this great? This is awesome. Whoop, whoop. To, come on, God. 
What's up with this? You killed our party. And I'll tell you, you read church history, more than once God has interrupted a church party to bring revival. And they're usually not what people think it is. God comes down and begins to examine his people. Not to say, whoa, what a great party. And God is about worship and praise and joy, I'm telling you that. But you know what he's more about? Making sure his people are right with him and right with others. So David gets mad because the Lord and his anger had burst out against Uzzah. And he names that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah. And that's what it's still called today. And now it shifts again. David is first afraid or angry, and now he's afraid. Now he's afraid of the Lord. Now it's too late to be afraid of the Lord. Somebody already lost their life. He's afraid of the Lord, and he says, well, how am I ever going to bring the ark back? And maybe you're wondering today, how am I ever going to figure out how to please God? It's right here in this thing called the Bible. And you don't have to read the whole thing to get it. But if you don't read any of it, you'll never get it. You can't just look around in the church and see what you're supposed to do. You can't just look around at culture and mimic what's supposed to be done. You need to become a person that reads your word. Because I'll tell you what, there are things that God had called me to do that he may not have called you to do. There are things that for me not to do is a sin. But for you not to do, he's okay with. And you can't just copy me. You need to know what God wants from you. And yes, there is an umbrella of what God expects from everybody. But you need to know what God's will is for you. What his direction is for you. And you can't find that. You can't Google it. You can't just watch other people. You need to get into God's word and read it for yourself so the Holy Spirit can show you what he wants for you. And you can't just, oh, just do it a new way and I'll use a different pattern and, and this is really going to be cool for God. It wasn't cool for God. He had stipulations. He had rules, not for him, but to spare us so that we wouldn't die. It was David's fault that Uzzah was dead, not God. And it was Uzzah's fault that Uzzah was dead, not God. David should have made sure that they knew what they were doing, and Uzzah should have made sure that he knew what he was doing. And ultimately, it turned out poorly. And he begins to do the same thing that the Philistines did. Philistines thought they got a great prize, having the presence of God. Then they were angry, then they were scared, and then they sent it away. And look what David does. David decides not to bring the presence of God back. Instead, let's take it to the house of Obed-Edom up in Gath. If God's not going to respond the way we want him to respond, we'll just set him aside. And that is like a whole new generation of people that said, hey, I need God to do this. And when he doesn't do what you need him to do, you just set him. You didn't deny him. You just set him aside. That's newfangled faith, church. Instead, David should have said, guess who he could have asked? God, what do you want me to do? But what happened? Nope, he gets angry. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Now I'm angry. And then bad stuff happens. Now I'm afraid. 
So let's just set you aside until I can figure out what to do with you. Please don't follow that pattern. You can know that you're saved. You can know the will of God for your life. You can know what's expected of you, but you can't just get it from following the culture or looking around in a church. You need to read your word. You need to become a person. Start in John. Go to Romans. You can't ignore God's word because he is the word, and ignoring the word, you're ignoring him. And I don't want you to be a Philistine believer. I don't want you to have newfangled faith. I want you to be a person that knows and loves God. And yes, you're on a path that takes you from where you were to where He wants you to be. And it's not perfection, but it's progress. But if you're still the same place that you were when you first got saved, I would wonder what you got saved from. What did you get saved into? There should be a progression as our faith grows, and we stop doing some things, and we start doing some things. That's old-fashioned faith. And I'm not saying going back to the good old days. I'm talking about old-fashioned faith as biblical faith. I'm just going to believe that God said it, and what He said, He meant. And if He said to do it, and I do it, then I know He'll be pleased. And if He said, don't do it, and I do it, I know He'll be displeased. What a concept, huh? Now, we can all cry and boo-hoo for Uzzah, but I want to show you another passage and just understand that God, whether you like it or not, God was so gracious just to kill Uzzah. And you think, how can it be gracious that God killed Uzzah? I want you to turn real quick. It'll be on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19. You see, when the Philistines first sent it back, some of the Israelites, the people who should have known better, found the ark, and they thought, this is awesome. And they begin to handle it, and they begin to look inside of it. And if you read that, look what it says. The Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord, and the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Now, he killed seven. In another place, it said he killed 54,000. That's not my God. Yes, it is, if you believe in God. God doesn't play. When He says no, He means no. For a reason, not the jerky reason like our folks told us no, because they were too lazy or didn't want something to happen. He said no because it's good for you. It's not about Him, it's about you. He said no because He knew what would happen if you went ahead and did it. That's why He said no. But some of us think, hey, we've got grace now. The grace is the ability not to sin. Grace is the ability to kill you in your sin. Grace is the strength to say no to a sinful life. Grace is not the covering to do what you want and think that God's okay with it. And if that's what you believe, you've been fooled and you have newfangled faith. Because I would challenge you to find that anywhere in the Scripture that sin doesn't matter anymore. It's not in there. In fact, it says the opposite. He killed 54,000 because they handled God's presence wrong. He killed seven because they handled God's presence wrong. He killed Uzzah because he handled God's presence wrong. Now, here's what you've got to understand. 
Every generation prior to David knew not to handle the ark. Every generation knew because they had heard from God and His Word, this is the pattern of how we do it. And the way that you do it is, I made the ark with rings on the side so you can slide a pole in. God is supposed to be carried in our midst and on our shoulders. No one touching it. Not because, get it, not because there was something special about the box. But God knew the dangers of us being casual with His presence. Because pretty soon, He becomes a piece of furniture that we put our feet up on. Pretty soon, He becomes a table that we throw our Bibles on. Pretty soon, He becomes something that doesn't mean anything at all. And so he's like, if you want to understand who I am, I always want to be in your presence. I always want to be in your midst. But you don't get to just handle me. I will take you where you're supposed to go. I will lead you out. I will give you the victory. And everybody understood that. But unfortunately, time had passed. And a new generation had been corrupted. And so David did what he thought would be honoring to God. And there are people now that are acting contrary to the Word that think that you're honoring God. And I'm telling you, it's not. If you're acting in a way that's contrary to the Word, no matter how you feel, no matter how cool it seems in the culture, it is not honoring God, it's dishonoring God. And I know, like I said, I told you this is a hard message this morning. But we need a wake-up call, church, and the world's finally getting it. They're understanding what happens when we embrace falsehood and truth right now, aren't we? (laughs) They're understanding what false news and false media and not controlling our tongue. Look in the news. See what's happening. And yet, if we're not careful, we follow the culture instead of the culture looking to us. We're looking to the culture to show us how to have faith. That is so backwards, I don't even know what we're doing. If David had consulted God's Word, and I'll show you right here, Numbers 4.15, the camp is going to be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. Notice that it's sacred articles, special, set apart. The Kohathites will come and carry these things to the next destination. Look what it says. But they shall not touch the sacred objects or they will die. It's right there in one of the first books of the Bible. You touch the things that you're not supposed to touch, and the penalty is death. The Levites should have known that. Ahio and Uzzah should have known that. But there was a corruption in the priesthood, and something didn't get passed along. And church, can I be the first one to stand up and say that we have to be mindful because there can still be corruption in the priesthood? Just because a guy is called a pastor, just because he stands behind a pulpit, just because he wears a mic, just because he dresses cool, just because he's got a big church or a small church or, or a doctor behind his name, we need to read the Word ourselves and test the spirits to know what he's saying is true. And if he doesn't preach out of the Word, we should really be seriously searching to glean some truth from that type of a person. Because there can be a corruption. He said that They'll even get, God will allow them, if they keep pursuing that, to be given over to a great lie. 
And the hard part is when it comes from a church, it doesn't sound like a lie. And then people eat it up, and then they're practicing a lie, and they don't even know they're practicing a lie. This is why I want to make sure that you see it on the screen, and you should have it either on your phone or in your lap. You need to read the Word along so that there is no way for me to stray and begin to deceive you. Also remember that as you read the Word, the Holy Spirit is there to guide you and to reaffirm and to correct and to convict along the way. That's why you read. Number seven, eight, and nine. But he gave none of the wagons or oxen. Look at this. I don't want to be carried with wagons and oxen. What did the Philistines do? They sent it on a wagon and oxen. What did David do? They tried to bring God back on a wagon and oxen. And when it specifically says not to. And I really don't think David was being lazy. I think he was just being expedient. The fastest way to get God back is to prepare a new cart and to honor him as he enters the city. And God says, I don't want the cart and I don't want the oxen. My goal is what it has always been, to be in the presence of men. To be carried by them. Did you know that New Testament says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The goodness and the presence of God carried inside of us. Not to be messed with, not to be fooled around with, to be treated with reverence and honor. That has always been his intent, and it will always be his intent to be in the midst of his people and his people to do what he says. They are required to carry the sacred objects, the ark, and other things of the tabernacle on their shoulders. New Testament also says that we all have a cross to bear. We have to bear the burden and the blessing of the presence of God in our lives. We will receive ridicule. We'll receive rejection. We'll receive people that just think that we have lost our minds. But we also have the approval of Adonai, God Almighty. And I want His approval more than I want people's approval. Last but not least, how about First Chronicles? If he had just looked, and I'm just giving you just a couple right here. There's many more. The Levites, those that are priests, carry the ark of God on their shoulder with its carrying poles. What? Just as the Lord had instructed Moses. Can I tell you that God doesn't change his mind in these things? When he says it, he means it. And it doesn't change just because the culture changed or because you don't like it anymore. That's just the way it is. And you can call it old-fashioned, you can call it narrow-minded, you can call it whatever. But generations of people that trusted and loved God and lined up their lives lived well and loved God and changed the world. And unfortunately now we have a generation that the world is changing them. And we have newfangled faith and we have Philistine believers And God loves them, but He's also sent people like me to be sandpaper and crowbars to say, that's a no-go. That's a non-starter. That's a bunch of mess. And the great grace of God is you can make a decision today to change your mind and to start changing your life. Or pride, or being cool, or I don't want to look different than the culture will win out and you won't 
be found in God's good grace. And I weep for you. I really do. Because I will never go back. I'm promising you. I'm not going back to some legalistic hard holiness where it's about this, that, and all this mess or the doctrines of men. But I also promise you I'm never going to deviate the best of my ability from God's Word and what it means for us today. And sometimes it's tough, just like this morning. This is a tough message because the church has changed so much. But did you know that God meant for us to live a different life to lead others? And if we look just like the world, we're not leading them anywhere. We're just blending in. We've been given an incredible word, an incredible burden, an incredible blessing called the Gospels to tell people the good news that God can save them out of their sin and they can have a new life. But if we look just like them and act just like them and dress just like them, there is no leading going on. It's just the blind following the blind. And I'm here saying you're better than that. You're smarter than that. And you know what I'm saying this morning is true, even though it, it, maybe it seems like it's got a little sting on it. It did to me too when I first heard this. When I first sat where you sat, attending church without being a believer, and I'm hearing these words like sin, I couldn't have defined sin before I got saved. I didn't know what that meant until he begins to talk about it. Lying and stealing and cussing and getting drunk and sleeping around, and those things start stabbing you. And I start thinking... This guy's been watching my life. How's he know so much about me? He didn't know me from anybody, but God did. And God knows you. And he has grace. And that grace can be extended to you today to say, Lord, I repent of my lackadaisical faith, of having newfangled faith. I want a faith that's going to endure. Would you allow your Holy Spirit to strengthen me? And you know what? He does that. He's waiting for that. He wants to empower you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants you to learn how to walk right and talk right and live right and love right. Or you can go on about your business. But someday you're going to have this discussion with him, and I hope that it happens before you die. Because once you die, that discussion is going to be different. The Bible clearly says we all stand before God, not just the believers, but those that acted like it, those that didn't care. We're all going to stand before God and give an account of our life. And I'm telling you, it will be a feeble excuse to say, I just watched what everybody else did. And I love you this morning. But we better set some foundations in place. We better get back to the solid Word of God that unflinchingly deals with the things that will ruin your life and graciously embraces you when you're not there yet. And so this is not doom and gloom. This is not turn or burn. This is a second chance to reevaluate, how am I living? Am I really believing this? Because if I really believe it, then I believe it Monday through Saturday too. Are you really practicing it? Are you really walking in it? Or are you kind of like David at this time where he's like, I really want the benefits of God's presence, but I just don't want to have to change how I do things. I want to do things the way I want to do things. I'm the king. 
And you can be the king of your life. But I'm telling you, your life will be so much better if you hand it over to the king of kings. And it may seem somber or, or, or what, but again, I've got to ask, are you a Philistine Christian this morning? Do you just want God's power? Do you want His glory? Do you want His presence, but you want it for you and you're not going to change? Or and If you find this difficult... You find that your life is different than what His Word says, admit that you're wrong, and you can begin again. As we wrap this up, I just want to remind you that God means what He says. God made it very clear through the Scriptures He wasn't to be handled. And that status has never changed, just, just I'm telling you. <laughs> and some people say, well, you know, this is the New Testament age now, and Jesus, Jesus came and He said, I fulfilled the Scriptures. He didn't cancel them. He fulfilled them. And yes, He revealed Himself, and He is our God, but we should not have a casual attitude in how we live our lives. Also, the Philistines saw that power, but they weren't trying to use it for themselves. They surely weren't trying to use it for God's purposes. You were designed and gifted to change the world around you, not to just have a salvation so you escape hell and woohoo, who cares about the rest of everybody else. That's not what salvation, that's not the good news. The good news is we get saved so we can save other people. No generation before David tried to handle God but time had passed. And I'm here to tell you this morning, some time has passed. From a generation that knew, I can't do these things. I won't do these things. And maybe they went a little overbear at times, but to now we have a generation that says, it's okay to do all these things. And it doesn't matter whether it's legal what matters is whether it's right, according to God's Word. And just because things look different now, just because we dress different now, just because we live in an Internet age, doesn't change God's Word. If anything, it reinforces the need for it. You can get angry. You can get scared. You can set God aside or... You can do what He says, and His presence will be restored to your life. And I think that's the main reason people are bailing on church today. When a whole majority of the church has no interest in His presence, it's tough for His presence to be there. And without His presence, you're just sitting in a building with some other people that are as empty as you. Or... We get hungry for His Word and hungry for His presence and desperate for Him to fill us again and again and again, and that's contagious. That's what I'm after. My hunger has not waned one bit. I am as hungry for God as I have ever been. Not because I don't know Him, but because I do. <laughs> and I know that I need more of Him, and I want to be filled more of Him, and I want to be able to share that with more people. And that means I've got to make decisions about how I'm going to live my life. And I don't care anymore what other people think about how I live if it's lining up with God's Word. Do you want to sit there and demand your way 
and lose the presence? Or do you want His presence and His grace will cover all of our missteps? But the fullness of joy and the knowledge of His presence. See, some of you don't even know what that means. I'm just telling you. Some of you don't know what that means. All you've known is church. It's just a duty thing. I I go because I don't want to go to hell. There is so much more than just sitting in a building. There's the intimacy of God knowing you, the richness of His love for you, the fullness of His forgiveness, the intertwining of His Spirit in yours, where you know, hey, I am so far from Him, and yet I still feel loved. And honestly, for some of you who've never felt that, you've always just felt guilt at church or nothing. And I can understand why people don't come back to church. But I'm telling you, you can fix that. You want to feel something? Line up your word. You want to feel something? Get hungry for His presence. But you just can't go on your cruise control. You can't just live the way you want and think that God's going to approve. He won't. As desperately as He'd love to have you in His presence, He won't. And little by little, as you handle Him, little parts of your life begin to die until you feel nothing in your family, at your work, in your faith, in your prayers. And you keep that up long enough, pretty soon you're like, what difference does it make? I pray and nothing happens. And you're probably right. Or you can make a switch this morning and set aside this newfangled faith, this mess, this foolishness. And we get hungry for God and His Word again. His real presence. His real presence. Not a great worship song. Not a... A, a dynamic or bold speaker, but God and His Word that even if nobody spoke, even if nobody sang, the Word is so rich to you and powerful to you. And it speaks to you that you don't even need those things anymore. They're just an added bonus. They're the frosting. You get to determine whether you want His presence this morning or not. You get to be part of the abundance of whether this church will have an abiding and overwhelming presence of God or whether it won't. I can have it on my life, but I can't give it all to you. You've got to be hungry for it yourself.